Welcome to Dutch the Podcast. My name is Mike Wixon. Right there is Tom Byfoot. He is, after all, uh, the man who is in charge of everything Dutch here in North America, it seems. Uh, of course, Dutch the Magazine, Mocum Publishing, and, and right here, uh, Dutch the Podcast. Hi, Tom Byfoot. How are you? Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Uh, long time no see. It has been a, a number of weeks now, but congratulations. Season one is done. This is episode one of season two. Look at us. We we made it, Tom. Uh, we did it. Ne next season going already. So um, looking forward to carrying on. Now, I'll remind you, uh, there are many episodes, as we point out. This is uh, season two. Season one is available now on YouTube. And if you're watching that here on YouTube right now, uh, go ahead and subscribe and hit the notification button. And we'd be happy to let you know every time we put one of these out. Every episode has an amazing guest. And uh, today is no exception. We'll find out more about our guest today in just a minute. Uh, meanwhile, what's happening in the world of Mocum Publishing, Tom? Well, it's, it's uh, you know, things are going uh, very nicely. We've uh, uh, just, uh, just printed our uh, July-August issue of Dutch the Magazine. Got some uh, wonderful stories in there. Maybe one that I'll get back to in a future podcast. Uh, it's called uh, In Your Father's Footsteps. And this is this great tour that uh, was put together for children of Canadian vets who uh, oh. liberated the Netherlands uh, after World War II. And they organized a tour and they actually walked and they followed the route that the um, soldiers took and they went and visited the towns they liberated and spoke to the people who lived there, some of whom remember the Canadians coming in and, and many of whom, of course, are too young or were born later, but they're still very grateful. It is legendary, uh, I'm sure, in these communities. What a really interesting story and uh, a great project. Uh, look forward to finding so out. So I'll, more I'll bring about one that. of the participants on in, in one of the future episodes. Before we leave today, uh, I'll remind people of this, but uh, you can visit us and uh, contact us at any point. Uh, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, get in touch at DutchTheMedia.com, where you can find out uh, all kinds of amazing things, including. Uh, all of the various publications like Tom's book. We'll get to that before the end of the show uh, and hundreds of other publications. You could subscribe to everything and even catch the podcast there. Uh, once again, uh, we encourage you to reach out and, and even say hello to us. Yeah, I'd love to hear from uh, from uh, the listeners, uh, viewers on YouTube and listeners on uh, all the various other platforms that uh, the podcast is available on uh, at DutchTheMedia.com and just fill out the uh, contact form and it will get straight to me. Now, I never do this, but one season later, I find myself in this position, Tom. Hi to Robert, my uh, next door neighbor, who is a, a fan and uh, he's Dutch and uh, found uh, found out that his new neighbor is the host of the podcast that he watches. So I, I promised I would shout him out. Hi, Robert. Uh, thanks for tuning in. <laughs> I haven't met Robert, but shout out to Robert for me as well. Then. Uh, all right. Now, listen, uh, as always, we have a great guest. And as we head into season two, who's our first guest, Tom? Our first guest is uh, an amazing um, uh, filmmaker, architect, urban city developer, and general thinker out of the box. Um, her name is Astra Burka. Um, and um, despite all of these um, amazing qualities that she have and, and, and amazing productions that she's made, uh, she's a multi-prize winner with her films, for example, we will mm. not be talking about her life We'll be talking about her mother's life. Her mother, uh, Ellen Burka, uh, came to Canada from the Netherlands after World War II. Um, 
was soon a single mom of two uh, two amazing girls, Astra and her older sister Petra. Petra went on to become a world figure skating champion, and that would not have happened without her mother's chutzpah, as we uh, discover when we're talking to Astra. So I'd say let's go talk to Astra first, and then um, then we'll maybe um, evaluate and uh, talk a little bit more after. We we'll break it into individual discussion groups, have coffee, and uh, and we'll talk about it. Meanwhile, Absolutely. Uh, here is the interview. Hi, Astra. Thank you so much for joining me on Dutch the Podcast. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. Uh, and maybe by uh, way of introduction, uh, you can start by telling uh, telling me a little bit about yourself and your background. Yes. Um, uh, as you know, my name is Astra Burka, and um, I have... Uh, I, I was a figure skater. My mother was my coach. And from the age of four to 16, I trained um, six hours a day at all the rinks. Um, and it taught me discipline. Uh, I have two university degrees, one from Glendon College in English and French, and one from the University of Toronto in architecture. And also I'm a filmmaker, production designer, producer, and currently, I'm the co-chair of sustainability for the Directors Guild of Ontario. You've got a, a you know, a, a, an amazing uh, career, a huge number of things you're involved in. Um, I, I met you um, a number of years ago at a Dutch uh, consular event uh, here in Toronto. Uh, and, and when we spoke about um, you coming on as a guest on the podcast at the most recent Dutch consular event, I asked you, what would you like to talk about? Would you like to talk about your own filmmaking, uh, your urban planning uh, work, uh, or about your mother's story? And you said, no, I would like to talk about my mother's story on this uh, podcast. So um, can you explain why that is? Well... I think maybe I will change my mind a little bit, but um, because I would like to mention a couple of items about my own personal life. I, I just um, be, just to explain, because when we immigrated to Canada, we weren't really told about the total family history. Um, and when I did find out, I became obsessed about it. And um, then I started making films about all my family members just um, as a way of paying homage and having a historical account of all of that. So that was kind of, I got that through my filmmaking, but um, I did, um, as an architect, I just want to go briefly about that. Um, I loved architecture, but I found that um, it's too development driven. People don't think outside of the box. We have a city that doesn't have a plan in Toronto. And it's ridiculous how we're condemnizing the entire city with these huge towers that are not even built for climate action. And I was writing articles in the 80s, bury the gardener and beautify the city. Let's make the greatest waterfront. And that was when we had the opportunity when Canary Wharf and uh, all, uh, Barcelona, Paris, all of Boston were making great plans with water in their cities. And, um, and, you know, here it's always very frustrating as a creative outside the box thinker to do architecture. So, um, so I somehow got involved with film because I thought, you know, at least you can 
build a set, a movie set, and it gets done right away. And it's about storytelling. And um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. And then because I learned my skill from architecture to uh, becoming a production designer, I thought, well, why don't I make my own films? And I knew nothing about that. And um, the very first film I made was called Innocence on Ice. Um, it was a Bravo fact. I got some money um, from Bravo fact. And I um, found old footage that my aunt in Amsterdam had of my sister in the 60s, Super 8 film. So I had an editor edit it. It was just a three-minute film. And then I hired composers to compose music to her movement. And so that's how I started in my filmmaking. So, so that was your first first film. Um, can we see that somewhere online? Yes, it's um, if you looked up um, Bravo Fact, YouTube, Innocence on Ice, you would Innocence find it. Innocence on Ice, okay. Yeah. Um, and that was the first of many, right? I looked at your filmography um, on IMDb. Uh, I don't know if you know exactly how many you made. Um, but one of them that uh, I think really stands out is um, is the film you made in 2007 uh, about uh, Ellen Burke, your, your mother. Right. Yes. Yeah, Skate to Survive. Um... It was funny because I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not really a filmmaker. I just have ideas. I'm a outside the box thinker. When I have a passion or a mission, like when I wanted to get into architecture, I applied in September and got in when 1,200 applicants applied at U of T and only 70 were accepted and I was 71. You know, it's called chutzpah, you know, when you're on a mission. Yeah, so, yeah, um, yeah. so there was hot docs and, um, the hot dogs, which is similar to the IDFA documentary film festival in Amsterdam. I decided, you know, I'm going to pitch at hot dogs this film. And I had a couple of pages of pictures of my mother and I, I pitched it to Omni and they gave me money. I couldn't believe it. Like I'd never done a one hour documentary and they gave me money. And I worked with Michael Kaner, who was a co-producer and um, writer to the film. And together we put together a film where we shot it in Toronto and we went to Amsterdam. And, you know, I'd never done anything like that. And it got into some festivals and I and went to Israel to a couple of festivals and played at Yad Vashem. And um, so it was kind of exciting, you know, like uh, actually doing something like that. So, so, um, Maybe you can can um, uh, tell us a little bit about your mother's story and 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 what made it uh, so compelling to make a film about it. All right. Well, the title "Skate to Survive" that really is the telling title. My mother was um, a figure skater in Amsterdam, and she loved figure skating. And she got her friend Elspeth Bon Meyer. Her name was Elspeth Meyer to skate with her, and they used to go to all the rinks and. And we're talking uh, pre-World War II, right? Pre we're talking nineteen II, late 1930s. In the 30s. And um, she loved figure skating. And they, you know, went everywhere. And they had lessons and everything. But then the war came. And the Germans said, no Jews allowed. My mother was Jewish. So she wasn't allowed to go to the skating rink anymore. And she used to walk around the rink and hear the people skating. But she wasn't allowed in because she was a Jew. And she um, 
was sent to Vesterborg with her parents and grandmother. Vesterborg uh, is, is the uh, transit camp where the Dutch the Jews were gathered before they were sent to the um, extermination camps in, in the right. East. Right, exactly. So, um, and Vesterborg had quite a history too, because it was the German, there was a German camp before World War II where all the German Jews escaping Germany would go to Vesterborg and then apparently the same doctor and cook worked for the, uh, when it became a Jewish camp for transit. I mean, it's crazy. And then after the war, it became an Indonesian camp. That's I mean, right. It's, it's really crazy. Yeah. But anyway, so my mother and her parents uh, were sent to um, Vesterborg in June, 1943. And when you inscribed in the camp, um, they asked, you know, what your profession was. And people would say, you know, landscape or furry or whatever. And mother said, champion of Holland, even though she wasn't the champion of figure skating. She said- Yeah, she you talked about chutzpah, right? Uh, that's that's <laughs> another great example. Yeah. She she was was a student. She she was a great figure skater. And, and I think what in your film, she says, well, there were no championships at the time, but if there had been, I would have won it. Uh, so I thought it was okay to, to say that. Yes. And she did win it immediately after the war when she was three months pregnant with my sister. Wow. So um, in 46, but, um, but anyway, so uh, she wrote that down and Gemmiker, who was the Obersturmfer of the camp, loved figure skating. And so did his mistress. And so somehow she got protected when she was in the camp. Um, and they didn't send her to Sobibor. Her parents and her, her great-grandmother was brought to the camp two weeks earlier than my mother and her parents. And she was sent to Sobibor, so my mother got to see my great-grandmother, Clara, um, Daniel, um, just as she was being sent away, and she was 83 years old. And then two weeks later, her parents were sent to Sobibor and were murdered there. And mother was told, okay, your parents are on the train, please go and say goodbye to them. And she said her mother her father, I can't remember which one, you know, didn't want to look at her because it was just a horrible situation. And somehow she got protected. I think my grandfather went to the Yotzerat, which is the Jewish council that was at the camp. They always, you know, made the list of which Jews should be sent. I mean, it was so ridiculous. And he said, I want you to protect my daughter, Ellen. And so maybe it started like that and with her skating. So that was that. And um, and then I think the story that you might have seen is that she, uh, the Germans wanted her to skate an exhibition in the camp. And so she phoned her friend Elspeth. She was able to get on a telephone and phone her friend Elspeth. And Elspeth brought her skates and her dress to the camp. They couldn't see each other, but she had it delivered through a farmer or something. But then the ice melted, so my mother was never able to perform. But but nevertheless, she she because she had um, that um, that camp commander who was really interested in ice skating and figure skating, um, she survived, um, or she was not sent to an extermination camp like your grandparents were, but she was sent to Theresienstadt, 
which was also a German concentration camp, um, yeah. but but at least not a death camp. Um, and and she survived that. Um, and then then what happened? Well, I, I I'll tell just one other story. Um, in Vesterburg, she was a cook. Um, there were three Oberstumpfers, the highest commander, and the second and third. And she worked for, I think, architect Vimma. And, and when we were in Vesterborg, we saw the one house where Gemmaker lived, because that's still preserved. And she was asked to do a party one night, but not to wear the Star of David. She had to serve alcohol and food to who the guests were at the house, uh, at Gemmaker's house. And um, she started drinking too much champagne and got a little bit um, tipsy. And one of the other German soldiers tried to corner her in a room and Gemmaker saw her and said, out you go, you know, leave because, you know, it was just one of those situations. So she was put in a prison with 99 other women. And somehow those 99 women were sent to Auschwitz. It was the last train to Auschwitz and Frank was on that train also. And mother was sent on the last train to Westerbork because the Obersturmfer's Gemmaker's mistress put out a petition and asked if the um, if Ellen could be saved. So she was sent to Theresienstadt. Wow. So yeah, again, she she survived because of um, you know the relationship she she had built through, which came through her ice skating. Now um, she. Um, met um, a Czech Jew in, in Theresienstadt, your, your, your father, uh, and, and then yeah. what happened next? Well, my father was an artist and, and um, his brother was making furniture for the Germans. He was a carpenter and my father had, uh, was a painter. So they allowed, and my father also worked in the kitchen and that's where my mother got a job. If you work in the kitchen, you get fed. And, um, but my father somehow had an atelier over the children's uh, barracks where he had a studio where he could paint. And so he made paintings up there, he painted my mother. I have some portraits that I think are in Yad Vashem in and in Theresienstadt. So um, she met my father there in um, Theresienstadt. So they fell in love in the camp. And then... And Sorry, go ahead. And then, and then the Russians liberated the camp. So I think my mother told the story that she was on a Russian army tank with my father coming into Prague, liberating it. Really? You know, like, I hadn't heard yeah. that. Yeah. And um, so it was like kind of crazy because, see, my father, he was actually just backtracking on my father. He was from Sudetenland which was German speaking. And my mother's parents also came from German background, which also helped my mother because she could speak German fluently. And she spoke Hochdeutsch, which is high German. Um, so uh, my father was sent from Sudetenland. He went to Prague and then he um, was kicked out of every school, but he met this uh, artist called Peter Keen who told my father, if you want to be an artist, you have to have another profession. So he said, I'll teach you graphic design. So my father liked graphic design and I still have drawings, graphic design for my father that he did before he was sent to Torvation Stadt. 
And, and that's what my father became afterwards. He became both an artist and a graphic designer. And, and, and then, so, so your mother and your father met in Theresienstadt and then yeah. after the liberation, I uh, understood they walked back to Amsterdam. Yep. They walked back to Am Amsterdam and mother said that she bumped into soldiers, like German soldiers with watches up their arms. And, you know, it was like very dangerous because they had to go through creeks and this and that. And, um, and then they walked back to Amsterdam and, um, and then of course my aunt, my aunt, I think was underground and then she worked for UNRWA. So she wasn't in Amsterdam, but somebody was occupying the family house in Amsterdam South. So and that was sold during the war in 1943 to a Dutch couple. But sold by whom? Uh, it's so crazy. I found the documents um, which are gone to the Amsterdam archives, but I found a document um, in November 1943, a Macalar, you know, real estate agent sold um, the house to a Dutch couple. But it wasn't his to sell. It was your grandparents' no, but house. The took everything. They took their bicycles, their cars, everything. Yeah. So it had been confiscated, really, taken and, away, stolen. Yes, and then whatever remained of the family um, articles, like some china and silver and some uh, smaller items, they were hidden in a in a warehouse in Amsterdam through Elspeth's father, who was in the Iraq business. It was kind of an alcohol from Indonesia. And so he hid um, a number of jewels and china and photographs. And um, so after the war, we still had photographs of the whole family history because they were hidden during the war. So that was interesting, but the house uh, the Dutch law at the time said that in order to gain um, your house back, you have to move in with this other couple. So my father and mother had to live with this Dutch couple in the house that my mother owned to get it back. Wow. And and the she Dutch did get it not, back? Pardon? Yes, she got it back. But the Dutch were not, you know, nobody was, you know, people weren't happy when the Jews came back. It, you know, like, it was not really, you know, like welcome, you know, they either taxed them for back bills so they couldn't afford to get their houses back, but um, my mother somehow managed to get the family house back. Now, well, isn't there also, um, because as you say, the reception of the Jews coming, the few that came back uh, wasn't really welcoming. Um, was there something about your mother having lost her nationality by marrying a, a Czech um, so-called alien? No, I think uh, she she was Dutch. Okay, so she... You she, know, like, my father might have been an alien or stateless, but she was born in Holland, you know... And she she did have a Dutch citizenship, but nev nevertheless... Uh, so you you and your sister were both born in Amsterdam after the war, uh, right. but fairly soon you uh, the family moved to Canada, right? That's correct. Well, it was in 51. My father 
when the Korean War started, because what happened in Czechoslovakia, first it was Sudetenland, then it was the Germans, and then the Russians came in 48 and took over uh, Czechoslovakia. So my grandparents on my father's side had to escape Czechoslovakia with the clothes they had on their back. They, they left a farm. My grandfather was an engineer. They had this big farm in this crazy little town called Postolopoti. <laughs> something crazy like that. They lost everything and they immigrated to Canada. So my father, uh, this was in 48, but in 51, um, my father got totally paranoid because, you know, the war damaged everybody um, who had to go through the camps and everything. So he was terrified. Again, there would be another war with the Korean War. So he said, let's immigrate to um, Canada and mother said, well, I have relatives in New York. So whichever visa comes first, we'll go to that country. And it was the Canadian visa that came first. Okay. So um, now how, how was the, um, the reception in, uh, in Toronto in, uh, in Canada? Well, when my um, parents arrived in 51, uh, my mother being a figure skater and she had won uh, the Dutch championship and she created a beautiful um, ice review with the Carré in Holland and she was she was teaching, she was very well educated in figure skating. And she noticed um, when she came to Toronto, she said, I'm putting my finger in the middle of the city and that's where we're going to live. And so we found a three bedroom apartment near Upper Canada College on Oriel Park Road and it was a nice neighborhood. We weren't poor immigrants. We came on the Queen Mary, maybe third class or whatever, but we weren't poor immigrants like most of the Dutch immigrants who came. Um, my parents spoke five languages. They were educated. Um, so, and, and my mother had a little bit of money that Elspeth's father had saved from my grandfather who had given to Elspeth's father. So. Um, but everyone else didn't help in Holland. So they came to Toronto. Mother noticed there was this private club called the Granite Club that was just around the corner on Sinclair Avenue. And she said, I'm going to join. So she went to them and said, I'd like to become a member of your club. And she saw no Jews allowed. This is Toronto, early 1950s. No Jews yes. allowed at the club. In the, in the Granite Club. They never, it wasn't until the 60s. Wow. I think or early 70s that Jews were allowed to become members of the Granite Club. So it was like a very wasp, white Anglo, Anglo Saxon Protestant place. And so my mother totally freaked out, I'm sure. And, and at that point decided, well, I can't have my children, um, you know, be raised Jewish here. And she had already denied being um, Jewish because of the war. Um, and she said, I can't tell my children about the past. So she said that my grandparents died in a car accident. So my sister and I knew nothing about any relatives, anything. So, so you, uh, growing up, you did not know um, you were Jewish. You did not know what had happened to your grandparents and your great grandmother. And, and, and you thought they died in a car accident. Yes, my sister and I, and, and my father had these crazy relatives that were, you know, also Jewish here in Toronto. Um, and 
but you know, but nobody ever talked to us. Like it was always silent. My sister and I kind of felt there was something weird. My mother. Yeah, you, I was going to ask. You must have, especially when you get into your teens. You 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 must figure out. You know, there's something here that doesn't quite add up. Well, we 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 just thought. You know, like we came from home. We were immigrants. You know, we were foreigners. Um, because they also called us displaced persons. Like for us, Petra and I, it was harder for us because they said, oh, your name isn't Mary or John, you know, like, uh, you know, like, why are you Astra and Petra? You know, like we had strange names. So we always felt as if we were foreigners. So we never kind of questioned if we were Jewish or anything, you know, and Petra and I even went to a public school called Glen Rush at the time where it was, mostly Jewish children and on the Jewish holidays, Peter and I would always go to school, you know, and um, because we didn't know we were Jewish. And uh, so it was kind of strange, you know, like, but we, we associated our background more being immigrants and foreigners and Canadians did not like foreigners. <laughs> Despite hundreds of thousands coming in round about that time, you I know, know it, it Dutch, like Italian, Portuguese. Like they treated the Chinese and the Japanese and uh, even the Jews had to um, Mount Sinai Hospital. They had to create Montreal because Jewish doctors were not allowed to work in Toronto oh, General, you know, here in the 30s. They had to create their own Jewish hospital. Like Jews, Jews were only allowed to be accountants here. Wow. So, you know, so but eventually your mother did... Um, take up um, coaching and skating again, right? Oh, well, she started teaching at Varsity Arena and, uh, you know, like, and, and, and did all the Lakeshore Arena, Dundas, like, she was going around everywhere, you know, teaching. And then when Petra and I were, like, 11 and 13, we became members of the Toronto Cricket Skating and Curly Club. And there, no Jews allowed either. But Mother said we were Anglican. So we... we uh, Peter and I were skating in a club where no Jews allowed. We didn't know we were Jewish, and um, and we thought we were Anglican. So, um, so who was was your mother coaching there at the time yet, or did she just not yet? Um, she was teaching in all these arenas because, just to backtrack, after four years, my parents split up in Canada. They were only together for four years, and then they divorced. And so my mother was a single mother, having to raise two children. Um, and my father left for New York and the south of France, so he was nowhere around. And mother had to work in all these arenas, like, you know, like, it was insane, and pick us up and bring us to school and, and, and at the same time maintain a middle-class type of uh, upbringing, you know, we always lived in houses and, you know, she sent us sometimes to camp in the summer, you know, like, so, but it was very hard for her, um, what she went through, you know, and so she couldn't even train my sister. Um, when my sister became an international figure skater um, in competition, so Stafford Smythe, who was, uh, who owned Maple Leaf Gardens, actually gave her three hours of ice time at Maple Leaf Gardens um, to train in the morning. And I used to go with my mom and sister before the hockey players came on. And, and, and he was, my mother was able to teach my sister. And then the following year, I believe she started teaching summer school at the Toronto Cricket Skating Curling Club. And then she was able to teach there full time. 
but people didn't know we were Jewish. No, and 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 um, your sister eventually went on to become world champion and right. and, and win an Olympic medal. Yeah. Um, but your mother coached a number of other world champions as well. She had great impact on on figure skating in in Canada and worldwide. Right. Um, she got the Order of Canada in nineteen seventy eight, which was quite early. She was the first figure skating person to get. Um, um, the Order of Canada for um, elevating the sport to artistry. And and that's what I found fascinating about watching the documentary as well. She she um, had a creative uh, impetus on skating. She changed the way um, skating was done, so to speak. Can, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, because I think when my sister was skating, it was still very, um, this was in the mid 60s, was very traditional and um, and then she got the skater called Toller Cranston who was very artistic and he became her kind of creative tool because as she always said men in the olden days could only skate like with their arms like this and then she made him go and bring his arms up like this you know like so you know like men weren't allowed to even raise their arms it was so old-fashioned so she brought in this whole new way of um, men becoming artistic in the sport. And, and that started a whole new movement and also with women. And mother was always like taping music, classical music. She understood dance, she understood. Yeah, she trained as a dancer as well, I believe, right? Yes, and so she understood all of the, and choreography. So she was like a Renaissance woman. Um, but, you know, people weren't really ready yet in Canada till I guess, the 70s and late 60s, you know, like um, for this kind of movement to happen in Canada, because people were very uptight here. And they still are. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're talking, talking about the reception in Canada, but in the Netherlands, it also took a long time before your mother was recognized for her uh, contributions to ice skating. Um, and and it, isn't it until uh, fairly recently that uh, that in the Netherlands they they really didn't know much about uh, about her her influence on on the sport? Well, I think they did. She got a little award when, when NOS did the film on her. But, but that's that's you know. But they After always 2000. Knew, I know, but they knew we shouted Dijkstra and Petra, like, um, you know, like I think the Queen came to Dortmund and Petra actually beat Schalke, um with the Dutch judge. I can't remember exactly. Um, she got higher marks in free skating or something at the World Championships against Schalke, which was quite something at that time. But, um, but I think they do about Mother, you know, but... Um, but mother was Canadian at that time. She wasn't into the sport in Holland, but for me, the most rewarding thing by doing the documentary was bringing mother back to Holland. And that to me, you know, because she had to escape Holland and then coming to Canada and then having to deal with all the forces that were going against her here and that she was such a success and then coming back to Holland and then getting the recognition I think was for me one of the most wonderful joys of my life, just, you know, getting her back there. And and also 
Another thing is the Amsterdam archives have now um, taken all my mother's archival material. I send it all like, I think, um, I don't know how many kilos of uh, photographs and paper are now in the um, Amsterdam archives from her life with her family from 1910, uh, when her parents got married till she left in 1951. So that's another achievement, getting her whole life back to Holland. Wow, yeah. Um, so, uh, Astra, well, we, you know, we've been talking about your mother, um, but I was wondering, um, you grew up without knowing that background until, until you were told um, in, in your late teens. Um, how did it impact your life? Uh, did it impact your life? Did your mother's background impact your life at all? Oh, yeah. My mother was a huge uh, force majeure in our lives. Like, she was larger than life. <laughs> she was a real character. Um, and she was wild and crazy and creative. But um, when she told my sister and I, you know, then it started making sense to both of us. But we didn't really tell anyone because, you know, of this whole kind of hidden time. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll go to Israel and become Jewish, you know, and become a Jew and live in a kibbutz. And so I went to Israel and I thought, that's what I'm going to do, you know, to declare I'm Jewish. And then one day somebody talked to me about black Jews in Africa and they said they're kind of not, you know, like they're discriminated against in Israel. And I thought, how can you discriminate against Jews? <laughs> you know, I was like um, just in my early 20s and I was so upset about that that I thought I can't do this. You know, like, you know, you have to accept everybody. Um, and so um, I was very upset about that little incident. I imagine, yeah. And and so um, you you still live in Toronto. You grew up in Toronto. Um, is there any connection with the Netherlands that you feel? Oh yes, like um, I I'm involved with the Dutch. Um, consulate. Um, I'm involved with a committee called Dutch Canadian Circularity Alliance uh, because of my architecture and film background and sustainability. Um, I'm very interested in finding solutions. Um, as I said, I'm a co-chair of sustainability for the Directors Guild of Ontario. And we're trying to make the film industry green. And so the Dutch have all kinds of creative solutions on how to uh, reuse, repurpose materials and coming up with all kinds of interesting infrastructure that are working with Canadian companies. And I figure if the film industry gets on track, like not to use diesel, use battery and hydrogen solutions, then maybe it will influence other industries. Yeah, that sounds uh, sounds something like I, I can see you um, cooperating with, uh, with the Dutch um, consulate on that. Yeah. Um, Astra, it's and, been great. And, sorry, sorry, go ahead. And, sorry, one more other thing. I go to Holland. Um, my mother's best friend, Elspeth, um, his daughters, uh, Maria and Yoti, who are violinists and pianists, um, are kind of the same age group as my sister and I, and I visit them. Uh, we keep in touch, and my mom and Elspeth were best friends for 80 years, and so my Dutch connection is with Maria and Yoti. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I, I saw uh, in, in your film uh, and, and in the film that I watched on Dutch um, 
Dutch television uh, about that close friendship. And so you're keeping that friendship into the next generation. Now, your your mom passed away um, in, in 2016, I believe. Um, yeah. and what so about Elspeth? The same. She they 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 both were born in the same year. They died in the same year. They both had two daughters. And Elspeth became an international judge, and mother became an international coach. So the two of them used to meet during competitions. Uh, that's that's beautiful. What a beautiful yeah. story of friendship um, through you know through through the war period and 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 you know. 50, 60 years afterwards. Um, Astra, where can we watch your films? Well, the Skate to Survive is uh, somebody um, downloaded it on YouTube. So it's Skate to Survive um, YouTube. And you could just say Ellen Burka and, and you could probably find it there because it's on YouTube. And um, the other films, um, if you went to YouTube, it said Bravo Fact, Astra Burka, you could find, um, I did films called Innocence on Ice, Painting Daddy, My Titanic Uncle, and Zuko Pomodori. Okay, so uh, on YouTube, search for Astra Burka, um, Bravo, Bravo Fact, and, and we should be able to find them. Now, one, one other thing uh, I wanted to mention for those of our listeners who, uh, who understand and speak Dutch, um, the documentary uh, on on Amrite, the sport, uh, can be seen on MPO Start. Um, that's another um, uh, a film that was really based on your film, um, I, mm -hmm. I gather, Astra. And, um, and, you know, it's been great talking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Is there anything you'd, you'd like to add, uh, Astra, at this point? Not really. I'm just really happy that, you know, I got the family history out a little bit and, uh, you know, highlighted my mother and my sister and my father. You know, I just think um, I'm very proud about that. Well, and so so you should be uh, and and your own achievements. Let not let's not forget that. Thank you so much, Astra, for talking to me. OK, and thank you, Tom. Bye bye. bye. <laughs> Okay, well, we are into season two and episode one with an amazing interview. Astra, thank you very much. And Tom, that was uh, that's what, what a what a story, right? What you know, the way her mother survived the Holocaust just basically by bluffing and and by skating. Um, I mean, she still suffered when she was in the uh, Theresienstadt camp, but she wasn't sent to death camp. And I think uh, that that and and then she came to Canada and she became the most important person in Canadian figure skating ever. Uh, she completely redefined the style uh, with her students. Um, fantastic. Now, I, um, I would like to say that I, I, you know, I wrote about, Ast uh, about uh, Astra's mother, uh, Alan, in Dutch, the magazine, and I also have her life story in my book, um, Hiding in Plain Sight, where I cover the lives of a number, number of uh, Dutch Canadians, Dutch Americans, and of course, uh, other items of interest about the Dutch in North America. So, uh, of course, Alan Burka uh, deserved a place in that book. Uh, another fascinating story. And uh, as I as I mentioned off the top of the show, please uh, go back in time and uh, visit the rest of the uh, amazing episodes that we've had here on the show. Uh, Tom has a knack for finding these incredible stories. And of course, next time we will have another one for you. 
I'll encourage you to reach out and say hello to us. Is there something you think we should be covering or a topic you would like to see? DutchTheMedia.com. And meanwhile, Tom Byfoot, it has been a pleasure. Thank you for uh, sharing with us today. Thanks, Mike. See you later. Oh,